everybody. Welcome, welcome here to show 143 on Crypto Voices. Today we have our special guest joining us from North Carolina, I believe, Mark Yusko. Mark is a hedge fund manager and investor, founder, chief investment officer of Morgan Creek Capital Management. And actually, he joined us exactly four years ago this month on the show. So very happy to have him back during another bear Another interesting bear cycle in uh, in Bitcoin land. Mark, thanks a lot for joining. Uh, welcome. No, thanks for having me back. And that it's amazing how we all kind of lost two years. So when you said it's been four years, like that's not possible. But I had another experience like that over the weekend with my daughter. We were talking about something, and and she said that's four years ago. I'm like, no, no, that was last year. So time flies when you're not having fun in, in the COVID world. And uh, I'll apologize up front, speaking of my daughter. Uh, so she's had just had her third baby. So I'm a, a grandpa times three or pops times three. And uh, I picked up a little daycare cold uh, the other day. So uh, if I sound funny, that's why. Well, congrats on the baby news. That's amazing. Yeah. I, uh, I have a one-year-old daughter as well. So oh, it's... Uh, it's, you know, never gets old as, as you certainly know. And it doesn't, it really doesn't. And the only thing is, and I, you know, I don't have to tell you, but it, it's amazing just how fast it goes. Uh, you know, we have a, a unique family. So we have two older kids, 33 and 31. And then we have a caboose who just turned 12. Mm. And I mean, I remember yesterday he was one, like your daughter, and we were kind of adjusting to being parents a second time. And, and, and we were old, right? I mean, we we're 48 when, when we had him. So uh, a couple of things. One, we're just way better parents the second time. Not that we were bad parents the first time. Just we didn't know anything, right? We didn't even know really how to be married, let alone be parents. There's no books, no, no uh, licensing. But this time we're a little, little bit better. Uh, one little funny story. So my wife and I are how should we say this? Both firstborns, probably the best way to say it. So perhaps we debate, we have dialogue and debate in search of truth uh, on occasion. And my, when my son was four, he comes up to us one day and he holds up his hands and says, your words are bumping into each other. I'm like, yes, yes, they are. And uh, we will, we will not do that anymore. So what a clever, what a clever observation. Yeah. So how have you been over these these four years? And congrats on 143 episodes. That's epic. And uh, to, you know, to start something is hard. To continue to do it is is harder. And to do it with with a cadence and and uh, and and to still have fun with it is is you know super hard. So I, I think that's fantastic. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, definitely. COVID threw us off a little bit, as you mentioned, as everybody did. Uh, no fun for for a couple years. Um, actually, Bitcoin crypto still doesn't remain my day job. I am uh, in the investment world, as are you. Uh, yep. Mostly uh, freelancing as a corporate finance consulting. Do a lot of Excel models. Do a lot of Google Sheets. Do a lot of uh, a lot of modeling for um, not that type of modeling, but for for uh, real estate uh, professionals. Ha! Yes. 
yeah, well, you know, you're, you're, you're a handsome guy, so uh, you, you can do <laughs> the real model. Face, face for radio. But, uh, face now, for radio well, I definitely have a face for radio, and I, <laughs> I am grateful that today's episode will be audio only. We'll get the video uh, very soon, actually. Our, our listeners have seen some, uh, some, some more macro and money uh, videos we've started to make on YouTube. So, we're, you know, hopefully it can start to be a more full-time thing. But, um, yeah, it's been pretty wild over here. I'm, I'm based in Eastern Europe. It's where my father is from originally. And uh, for us, unlike a lot of, uh, you know, Texas libertarians and a lot of Americans that don't really want anything to do with what's happening in Ukraine, like for us, this is like front and center. Right. It's really difficult for us. It's really, uh, it's, a, it's something that we've been telling basically Western Europe for years. Like we told you so, this is what an aggressive nation looks like. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges to that, you know, there's a lot of disinformation, a lot of whataboutism and it's not defending, you know, American imperialism in Iraq or Afghanistan or anything, but like, you know, Ukraine did not invade Russia and yeah. we don't want a reinstatement of the Soviet Union either. So it's pretty wild. And I've been telling this, I've been actually curious your thoughts on this because uh, I'm sure you remember, you know, the end of the Soviet Union, those were great times, very free, uh, also great investment opportunities, but I feel like that now, like I was quite young then, I, I did remember a lot of these happenings, you know, going over there early in the 90s when things were opening up and becoming more free, yeah. going over yeah. here where I am now in Eastern Europe. The world was becoming more open, more free, globalization was starting, and interest rates were falling, and people were very interested in peace and, and, and free markets 30 years ago. Now, we have like, you know, tyrants building up again, aggressive nations building up again, Yep. And we still have the same free, uh, feelings of freedom, uh, but we have a rising interest rate environment as opposed to 30 years ago, we had a falling interest rate environment, which I think is a underlooked and under talked about phenomenon that's happening in the world with all of these geopolitical issues. So still, while people are fighting for freedom is kind of it's kind of weird. It's kind of different from 30 years ago. No, look, it, it's, it's a very good point, Matthew, in that. Um... You, know, you think about how growth occurs and it, it occurs from increasing liquidity. And what's really interesting about that is historically, there was a, a cycle. You know, it's about 11 years long, traditional business cycle. And you'd have these periods of, of time where liquidity would expand and you'd get higher growth. And then things would overheat and central banks would come in and, and temper that growth with, with uh, higher rates. Uh, and then we cycle back down and, and then growth would take off and, and, you know, you, you just keep going through that cycle. What's, what's interesting is from that, that period in the late seventies, early eighties, there's basically one direction for interest rates, right? Went, went down for, you know, almost 40 years. And actually not for almost 40 years, for 40 years, for 40 years. And that increasing liquidity, increasing globalization, uh, comparative advantage, right? Back to Adam Smith from 400 plus years ago. Pretty smart, you know, to write that 400 plus years ago. Yep. And, and it turns out that globalization is good when it's uh, done... In a, in a spirit of cooperation as opposed to a spirit of imperialism and, 
And so, you know, we, we could talk all day about this, but uh, I think post-Soviet Union, post, you know, the falling of the wall, which was the seminal event, you had this uh, unlocking of the peace dividend. And, you know, we've gone 80 plus years now without a major global conflict. You know, we certainly had conflict. Uh, that's not to minimize any of the, you know, geographic conflicts. And there are some terrible ones uh, in Africa and, and in Eastern Europe. There have been, there have been some terrible ones. Vietnam, um, Vietnam as well. Yeah, and, and, and Vietnam. And, and so it's not to say those, those aren't bad. They are. But true global war um, was, was the really bad. And that, that, that sets you back you know, a long time. So as we think about where we are today, I think something broke. I use that term with intent in the post-global financial crisis period in that we kind of went away from the normal cyclicality of markets and we fomented, when I say we, meaning global central banks fomented, and mostly the Fed, bottom line, fomented this free money era that I believe resulted in lots and lots of misallocation of capital. And this new period of, of rising rates is an attempt, I believe, uh, by those powers again to uh, clean up that, that misallocation of capital. And you know, the problem is when you do that, there, there will be breakage. And there's always, and there is also opportunity for abuse and corruption and, and we're seeing that in, in lots of different places as, as people take advantage. And, and I think it's been writ large in, in crypto in the past year with this nonsense around FTX, which, you know, when you peel the onion back was a fraud, I believe from day one, literally from day one. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's funny, I used to, I used to rail on, the people or laugh at the people who said, you know, crypto is only for money laundering. And, and uh, I'm like, no, you know, if, if I want to launder money, way better to not put my fingers on a keyboard and use a big old sack of cash. Like say, hey, Matthew, meet me at the park. I come, you know, I walk away and you, hey, Mark, you left your backpack. And I just keep walking and you look in the backpack and it's full of cash. Wow, that can't be traced. That's that's good for you. You you got your payola. Yeah. Whereas if I send you Bitcoin on chain, people can can see that in a wallet. So I I struggle with uh, where FTX was was part of I believe some some really bad money laundering. Um, and so to my point there is I get it now. You know, Ms. Warren and, and all those guys and, and the current administration, they, they kept saying it because they had insider knowledge because they were the ones doing it. And it's it's really crazy when you, I said, you peel back the onion and you, you look at all the connections and all of the, the badness that went on. And 
you know, it's a personal thing for me. The fact that, you know, I have real people, real clients who suffered real loss because of these bad people. And the primary perpetrator, although I actually don't think he's the primary perpetrator. Like I, I say, Sam Bankman Fried is the mastermind of nothing. No chance. Yeah. He was the mastermind. Zero chance. I think he's a useful idiot for somebody well above him in the ranks of, of, of super bad. Can we pick that apart, though? You've, you've said some interesting things in the last few months. Um, like, what about Kevin O'Leary? This is a grifter, in my opinion, that's just exposing himself. I think, look, I think Kevin, I don't think Kevin is involved like, like mastermind. Right. Is, is Kevin all about Kevin? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, Kevin likes Kevin. And, and look, anyone talks about themselves in third person and, you know, Bo Jackson, you know, Bo knows. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a dead giveaway. Anytime someone yeah. uses third person, it's, it's dead giveaway. But, you know, look, I, I don't begrudge Kevin being a paid spokesman, right? That That's what companies do. Um, and I said, I don't, I don't think he was in on it. I don't think he was part of it. But just his charade. You remember when he was on with Pomp uh, and he said he hated crypto, the crypto garbage and all that. And then and then later. Oh, Matthew. No, you'll love this. So I just did this, not just, but before the holidays, uh, I went out to Vegas and they said, hey, do you, do you want for a conference? And they said, hey, do you want to interview Kevin? And I'm like, well, here's the thing. I will if he lets me talk about four years ago okay not too long after you and i did the show uh we were on cnbc together and he basically said mark you're an idiot this is a total ponzi scheme there's no chance this is ever going to be worth anything and i was like okay if he'll if he'll talk about that and so the title of that that i i titled my interview was you know from you're dead to me which is kind of what he was saying to me, like on Shark Tank, to you know wearing orange shoes. You know he's got Bitcoin orange shoes, and now twenty percent of his assets are in crypto. And and I will give him credit. He manned up, and he he let me show the video of him calling me an idiot. He he let me talk about it, mm. and he said, "Yep, I changed my mind." And look, at the end of the day, great investors. And I'm not saying he necessarily is great. I mean, he's got some some great investments in his in his track record. But he's a fake billionaire, though, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, he might be a great investor, right? And yeah, um, great investors change their mind when the facts change, and it's okay. Look, I was skeptical, and and a lot less wealthy than I could have been had I been less skeptical in 2013. I you know I joke all the time. I was handed. Bitcoin, literally handed Bitcoin the same month as the Winklevoss twins. Mm. Now, they were in Ibiza with Charlie, and I was in San Francisco with Dan Moorhead. And so I didn't get it, right? I'm just like, look, I'm, I'm not running drugs on Silk Road. I'm not going to the bakery with, with Charlie. I'm not, you know, I, I didn't get it. And it was the same for me, same year. I, it took me a couple of years. Yeah. And, and look, I, I admire, and if, if you haven't read the book, Bitcoin Billionaires, mm -hmm. um, 
It's, it's amazing. It's a great book. Easy read. People should read it over the weekend. It's, a, it's, a, it's an easy read. Ben Meserich is a great writer. And it's a great story. And, and look, most people, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, but it's true. Most people don't get one really big idea in their life, right? You know, we get a job, we go to work, we, we maybe, you know, do something interesting, but, but very few people get a big idea, Steve Jobs-esque idea. And the Winklevoss twins have done it four times, like crazy, right? They, they came up with the idea for Facebook and, and Mark stole it, of course, according to the movie, according to them. And so that, that's pretty, pretty big idea. Social media is pretty, pretty big idea. Yeah. Um, and you know, they got most of it taken away, but they bounced back and then they got Bitcoin and, you know, then once they got Bitcoin, they're like, you know, we should start an exchange. So they have, you know, one of the top exchanges, you know, it's not the top, but they have one of the top exchanges and we are, we're part owner. So full disclosure, but then in the fourth one was they bought nifty gateway for $1 million four years ago, long before NFTs were a thing. And the guy that sold it to him, had started it for, you know, a $25,000 check thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm crushing it. But, you know, that was, that was pretty good. So they, they have been able to see around corners and, um, and really do some, some amazing things. And I, I think that, that ability. So back to Kevin. So I, I think that's that's Kevin, right? He's he's parlayed his his fame into you know a nice fortune. He's done some really smart things. Like one of the things he mentioned in, in Vegas was, you know, he has a relationship with all the big engineering schools, you know, MIT, Caltech, Georgia Tech, and he goes and, and lectures to these guys and then tries to find one or two of them to come work on one of his projects. Genius. Um, but the thing he said that was, was amazing. He said this year, this, this graduating class in May at MIT, 30% were slated to go into crypto. Yeah. That's an amazing stat. Is that interview online? Yeah. I think he's posted pieces of it. I think cause it was a, it was a conference and I don't know that the conference posted it all online, but I think Kevin's people, it's funny. He has people, right? That, do everything. So his people came and they mic'd me up with a separate mic and she was filming at a different angle. So I, I think on his website, there are snippets of that, uh, of that interview. Yeah. Well, I, I just ask about him because I think his story is certainly can be a bit cagey or confusing around the whole FTX thing, especially as you said, the way that he was speaking about crypto four years ago. But anyway, we could table him. I, I am interested in going back to the FTX story. You've said a lot of very interesting things about that. So any, um, you talk about, you know, Elizabeth Warren, you talk about all the connections. And in the last few months, I mean, obviously all the political donations, there's a lot of developments every day. There's Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And yeah, it's, it can't be a coincidence that Sam's parents are both so highly connected to politics, right? His mom created this kind of dark pool, kind of basically Tumblr mm -hmm. to 
wash contribution so Silicon Valley entrepreneurs and venture capitalists could get around campaign, campaign finance laws. I mean, that's essentially what it is. And so, you know, Sam you know, became the, the largest donor to Biden's election campaign. How the hell's that happen? I mean, seriously. Yeah. So, so that, that's one. Um, two, his dad uh, not only taught Peter Thiel, right, and gave Peter the, the idea for his IRA where he, you know, cleansed all that, that uh, capital gain on, on his private companies, you know, he'd issue low basis stock into the IRA and, and then didn't pay any tax and save like $5 billion or so. Or I saved like a billion dollars on $5 billion of gains. Pretty impressive. Um, but then more important, turns out dad went to Yale Law School with all the glitterati in Washington and was a contractor slash consultant slash advisor, whatever you want to call it, to the three-letter agencies. Um, so that's that's weird. But the, the thing that's that's more the most weird to me is the way this company went literally from nothing, right? Nothing. I mean, it was was this little research company called Alameda, which now we know wasn't some big trading firm like Goldman Sachs. And, and anyone who's seen Caroline, I'm sorry, she was not in charge of anything. Zero chance. Zero chance she's some yeah. genius whiz kid. Yeah. You know, people try to compare Alameda to Renaissance. I'm like, are you, are you kidding? Are you, are you joking? That, that's, that's insulting <laughs> to Jim Simons. I mean, Jim's <laughs> lowest level PhDs at Renaissance are smarter than all the people at Alameda, as far as I can tell. So, and, and they weren't doing what they said they were doing. Mm -hmm. They literally were just stealing yeah. money. Laundering. But here's the, here's the part that's, that's hardest for me. You know, fine. You want to take a bunch of money from sketchy donors, like their links, interestingly, to Robert Maxwell's fortune that went through Jeffrey Epstein into FTX. Okay. Mm. Okay. Right. I mean, just probably a coincidence that Ghislaine's lawyer is defending Sam. I mean, that, that's probably just a coincidence, right? I mean, that, that, that couldn't really be that they were connected somehow. Um, it's wild. I mean, wild. And, and then it couldn't be that he gets reassigned a judge who's married to the guy who did all of FTX's origination documents, Sullivan and Cromwell. Mm -hmm. I mean, the same Sullivan and Cromwell that the two guys, like the two brothers, like admitted that they ran the government for decades. Yeah. Right. I mean, literally yeah. said we paid off every politician for decades and we we basically ran the government. I mean, those guys were scary good. So so there's just so many weird things. But at the end of the day, you don't go from nowhere, nothing, right? A little research company that cut a deal with CZ to use his exchange to start doing what? Well, to start laundering money. And I'd say that 
unabashedly people say, oh, you don't know that. I'm like, well, here's the thing. In the old days, I meet you at the park with my backpack. No one can trace that. Here's the thing. If the government sends money someplace and those people send the money to FTX and then FTX sends it to Alameda, all on chain, right? Where we can trace the wallets. Then Alameda puts it in one of 200, this, this is the crazy part. There were 400-ish um, companies that were right. venture capital investments in, in Alameda. Unbelievable. 200 of them. Unbelievable. 200. Have you ever heard of such a thing, being an investor? No, never, not ever. No, there's, there are two things I've never heard of. So one is that 200 of the companies you invest in are shell companies owned by the principal. <laughs> I don't own any shell. I run a venture capital fund. I own no shell companies in which I put money to then make political contributions. Zero. I, I don't have any. So maybe that's a thing and maybe I need to jump on that bandwagon. No, that's not a thing. That is, if you looked up the word money laundering in the dictionary, it would have a picture of that, mm -hmm. right? And so, so then he makes all these political contributions to curry favor. Well, then it just gets even weirder in that his ex-girlfriend who's in charge of this other company, her dad is Gary's boss at MIT. Mm -hmm. And Gary somehow gets appointed head of the SEC. Now, I'm not saying Gary's not a perfectly fine, smart person, but did Gary have any regulatory experience? Any? I mean, like more than zero? No. Why does that guy get picked to be the head of the SEC. Doesn't make any sense to me. Then Sam is meeting with him to craft legislation that if it had gotten passed by Ms. Warren at all, would have made basically DeFi, which is the ultimate goal of all of this, right? Just to move traditional finance on chain. Yep. Illegal. So and, not, and that's, that's an oversimplification, but, but it was some bad stuff that would have... Uh, only able to be managed by FTX, basically. Yeah, exactly. So, so look, and then, I don't know. I said, maybe it's all just a big coincidence, but look, when Bernie Madoff admitted that he committed fraud, mm. the next day, he was in handcuffs. Yeah. And in jail. And he died in jail. Right. I mean, he was my neighbor right down here in North Carolina. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, drunk me you know, every time I drove up to Richmond, Virginia, I'd, I'd wave to him. This is funny. I actually sat next to his guard on an airplane once. The guard was coming back from training, and this, this guy was, was huge. I mean, everything you'd think a prison guard would be. I mean, muscular, but he's a really nice guy. And, and he was telling me some amazing stories, just amazing. And so it's not like, he wasn't there. I mean, he was there. This guy didn't know me from Adam. He had no reason to tell me lies. He said, mm -hmm. oh, look, I hang out with Bernie every single day. Um, and, you know, so how is it that Sam's at his parents' house, you know, moving stuff on the internet? I don't understand. That just makes no sense to me. Yeah. And I mean, the Madoff case is just another example of the sec's incompetence i mean harry markopoulos i remember from when it happened and then the great netflix documentary was just out recently everybody should watch that as well yeah i mean since 2000 he was warning them 
I mean, and this is just par for the course for the government. They don't do anything, then they claim they need more, more resources after they fail. And I think it's exactly going to be the case here, isn't it? Well, look, if you believe as I do, that, as I said, this was not Sam. This was not Caroline. They are pawns in a very large coordinated, right? As coordinated, <laughs> you know, we talked about COVID earlier, as I believe the whole COVID fiasco was, right? To, to propagate an agenda. Yeah. And we don't have to go into to what agenda that was, but you know, all you do is follow WEF a little bit and you figure that one out. Um, but look, here's the thing. 14 years ago, Satoshi, whoever he, she, they are, although I guess he self-identified as a he once in an email. So I'll go with it's a he. I actually don't think it's a single person. I think it's four people, um, but whatever. Um, Satoshi gave us a great gift. I mean, a truly extraordinary gift. And Bitcoin is, is the manifestation of that gift, but it's, it's beyond Bitcoin. The gift is the ability to create a unique asset in the digital world that is immutable and permanent. And that engineering feat is extraordinary. And it's, you know, comes down to proof of work, which I believe is, is the only viable, you know, pure form of, of cryptocurrency. If you want to be a store of value or medium exchange, you, you need to be pure. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't have other things and you can't have proof of stake. You can, but I, I just don't think it it does the same thing. I think it's more utility tokens and, and, and rails, which is fine. Look, we need rails, right? We need rails to replace Fedwire and Swift. The fact that we're still using Swift today is an abomination. Yeah. I'll give you an example. So we had a situation where one of our clients got hacked, literally hacked. I mean, this is crazy stuff. Like the hacker was like lurking in their email, waiting for an email to come in that had the word wire transfer in it. Crazy. Then instantaneously, which I'm not sure how you do that, but I guess you have a team of people that just, or a bot that's just constantly scanning. Mm-hmm. Long story short, they, they committed fraud. They put in other wire instructions and, and you know, we thought it came from him. And anyway, so uh, here's the thing. When we, we figured it out, or a client figured it out because he didn't get his money, uh, we went to the bank and the bank said, well, we can't find the Swift message, so we don't know where it went. Oh, my God. Like, what do you mean you can't find? That's not, that's not possible, right? You're a bank. You transferred money someplace in the Middle East to a hacker. You got to know at least the bank that it went to, right? That's the whole point. And they didn't. And so we're never getting. That's unbelievable. Oh, no, it's unbelievable. And. And look, that's just one example, but it's not that crazy, right? I mean, the fact is Swift, Fedwire, ACH are 60 plus year old technology, right? They're not new technology and technology wears out. Do, do, do you use a COBOL based computer or Fortran based computer? No, I don't. I, you know, I don't. Now, the funny thing is every day. I use something 
that it, that does. I use my MasterCard, right? Actually, well, it's not MasterCard, it's Visa, so I use my Visa card. Visa runs on a mainframe computer written in COBOL. And when I asked the guy, no, seriously, come on. He says, well, it'd be really expensive to change and it still works. And it's actually kind of a moat because no one knows how to hack it. So it's kind of more secure. The only problem is that when it does break, you know, we got to turn on a light at the Sunnyvale retirement home and get some 80 year old to come fix it. And I'm like, he's not joking. Cause my 84 year old dad can still code COBOL yeah. and no one else can. Yeah. So, you know, technology needs to advance. It needs to move on. And digital is better than electronic, which was better than analog. Right. If I wanted to send you a dollar, literally a physical paper dollar, I couldn't stuff it in the computer and, and have it come, you know, across the pond over to you in Eastern Europe. Yep. It's not going to happen. Now, I could use an electronic dollar at my bank, but the bank would charge me a fee. It would charge you a fee and, and you know, you'd get some sense on the dollar. And since it goes across international borders, the Rothschilds get paid. So you'd get lower sense on the dollar. And they would lose the SWIFT instructions. Yeah, and they'd lose the SWIFT instructions, right? And, <laughs> and so, but... If I have a Bitcoin, I can send it to you instantaneously with no trusted third party, no middle person. Now, if I'm a bank, that frightens me. So, you know, the other day, so Jamie, uh, beloved Jamie Diamond, is at WEF and he's on TV, you know, all wearing their parkas outside in that, in that you know, stage, Joe Kernan. That's the most typical thing, yeah, for years and years they do this. Yeah, it's just a solve theater, but, but it's good theater. And, and, you know, he goes and he pisses all over Bitcoin, you know, calls it a Ponzi and calls it this, and, and everybody's all mad. I'm like, mm-mm, I'm not mad. I'm actually pretty happy. I'm like, what? Could you, what are you happy about? I'm like, think about it. Here's the one of the most powerful people in the world. And whether you love him or hate him, you cannot argue as the head of JP Morgan, he is one of the most powerful people in the world, right? Yeah. He is. So he's given his 10 minutes of fame on stage at DeVos. And he can talk about anything he wants. And he chooses to talk about Bitcoin. Now he said, no, 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 Joe Kernan baited him into it. I'm like, no, 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 no. We all got media training. We know. When the host asks a question, you can deflect and redirect and talk about whatever you want to talk about. You don't have to answer the question. You can just talk about what you want to talk about. But Jamie didn't do that. He answered the question and he went on a 10-minute rant about Bitcoin. Well, why does that matter? Because here's the thing. You can judge the quality of an idea by the quality of its detractors. Mm. If you and I had an idea to start a restaurant and nobody thought it was a bad idea, it's not a very good idea. Mm. If a few locals, you know, thought it was a bad idea, not that good a good idea. If Chili's and, you know, TGI Fridays thought it was a bad idea and told everybody it was a bad idea, we're on to something, mm -hmm. right? The higher the quality of the detractors, the better the idea. And so the fact that one of the most powerful guys in the world doesn't like this, we're on to something because they don't like it. And so what I believe is that he and they, so again, I won't specifically say Jamie, but the banks, JP Morgan et al., I think they're likely complicit in uh, this 
how should I say, campaign to foment FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and, uh, you know, take down FTX. So you prop it up and you crush it. It's, it's, it's what we've been doing for years. In fact, there's this, there's this movie and I, I'm like, I'm not a big Michael Moore fan. I, uh, not, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but yeah. he made some interesting movies and in Roger and me, which again, it's mostly just a long, boring movie, but there's one section in it. It's like, I don't know, nine minutes where he goes down the history of the CIA in the United States, propping up governments just to topple them. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God. I mean, it's, and it's like fact after fact after fact. It's like, it's not made up stories. It's not, it's just, wow. Okay. And it's all with the benefit of hindsight that, that we can see it. And so I think that's the same thing here is you, you prop up this, you know, savior. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but there was the thing in the summer where they called Sam the JP Morgan of crypto. They called him the John D. Rockefeller. They called him the Jesus Christ of crypto. That's (laughs) blasphemous. They called him the Michael Jordan. And, you know, here in North Carolina, that's even probably more blasphemous. I'm kidding. Um, I don't want to offend anybody. But, uh, I mean, come on. And, And yet, the guy was nothing from nowhere. I just, no. And, and look, we got lucky, totally lucky, right? We never met the guy. I never, I never met the guy. Uh, we never looked at the deal. You know, it got shown to us three times at 8 billion, at 16 billion, and 32 billion. And it was just easy. It was like $8 billion for a company doing 40 million of revs. No, yeah, stupid. Why would anyone pay that? Well, it turns out, why would someone pay that? Again, you asked the question if I'd ever seen anything like this doing venture. Look, I've been doing venture for a long time. Mm-hmm. 30 plus years old, never. And, and that's not an exaggeration. Look, I'm prone to hyperbole. I, I, you know, it's like my wife said, she saw me speak one time. She said, you can't say things like that. I'm like what, what I say? She says, no, 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 not what you said. It's how you say it. You say things so forcefully. I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? She says, well, people will believe you. I'm like, well, that's the whole idea. She says, well, what if you're wrong? I'm like I'm wrong all the time. I just changed my mind. Um, so here's the thing. Never, ever, ever in 30 plus years of doing venture capital, have I seen an individual commit multiple hundred million dollars to a venture capital fund and then have the fund turn around and give them $150 million back into their company? Never seen that. And that's what happened with Sam and Sequoia. Now, the fact that Sequoia is tied in with Sam's mom, or I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's weird. Yeah, That's not the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. And what about the due diligence, the due diligence aspect? Like no one ever did any due diligence. Do you have any thoughts on how he could get away with that for so long? Uh, here's okay. That one I think was accidental. So the way it goes is particularly in venture capital, there's not enough great deals to go around, right? There's more money than great deals. You know, if you go back to 2000 from 96 to 2000, there were 10,000 companies backed by venture capital. There are not 10,000 good management teams in the United States. Mm. There just aren't, right? How many are there? 1,000, 2,000, 3,000? There are not Mm 10,000. So what happened? 7,000 of those companies literally went to zero. 3,000 of them either went public or got bought. Okay, so maybe there are 1,000 great management teams, but there aren't 10,000. So the same thing is true is there just aren't 
that many great deals. And certain firms, Sequoia is one of them, uh, built a, a well-earned reputation of being the smartest guys in the room, right? And there's Sutter Hill and there's Greylock and, and there's, you know, Kleiner. And, and, and why do people revere them? Well, because they've made a lot of great investments. So what happens is if one of those firms says, I like this, a whole bunch of other people are like, well, if they like it, then I need to like it. And, but it gets worse than that. So even if you say that, even if you say, well, if Sequoia likes it, I, you still are supposed to do your diligence. Right. And if you don't, you actually get in trouble with the SEC. Right. Um, so we always do our diligence. And, but here's the thing. I remember in 2000, there was this similar kind of, and it didn't have the same repercussions, but it was the same type of thing where there was this woman and I, and I shouldn't say this because people say you're, you know, you're sexist and it's cheapening. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just painting a picture. She happened to be very attractive and she had a good pedigree, right? She had biotech experience, but a firm out in Silicon Valley, and I won't name names, anointed her the next great venture capitalist and gave her some money. Mm-hmm. All of the endowments were like falling over each other to get into her. It was like a Theranos, pre-Theranos, right? Okay, that's what I was thinking and, of when you said No, 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 exactly. And and when I say attractive, I don't mean attractive, beautiful. I mean attractive, like presentable. Yeah, like a guy, can, a guy, gal, it doesn't matter. What, if you're presentable and people want to be around you and you're, you know, just anyway, attractive. I don't mean hot. I mean attractive. Sure. And here's the thing. Yale thought Harvard did the work. Harvard thought MIT did the work. MIT thought Duke did the work. Duke thought Notre Dame did the work. Notre Dame thought Stanford did the work. And Stanford thought Yale did the work. No one did the work. And it went to zero. Because it turns out she was very nice, but she wasn't very good. And no one ever did the work. And all of those endowments invested? Oh, oh my God. We were falling over each other because this venture fund was in and this other venture fund was in. And, And look, that happens. And it's not good. I'm not proud of it, but it definitely happens. And, and when there's limited supply, right, there's only so much to go around and you're scraping to get a piece. Mm-hmm. There's this willing suspension of disbelief. And I, there was another one and I, I fortunately missed it because I had a young guy who, who literally slapped me like literally. So in, again, back in 2000, you know, benchmark capital, and Benchmark was was it, right? They had formed their first fund in, in the late 90s and they invested in this little company called eBay. You might've heard of it. And the whole fund, right? Their first $85 million fund went up 96 times. Wow. So for every dollar you put in, you got 96 back. One of the best venture funds of all time. And they had something called an EIR, an Entrepreneur in Residence Program. And there was this guy who built CNET. And he had retired from CNET and sold it. And he was going to start his new thing. And his new thing was undisclosed. It was just going to be like an incubator. And it was called 12 Entrepreneuring. And I actually don't even remember the story why it was called 12 Entrepreneuring. And it was him and an LLC and an office at Benchmark. And the valuation, $700 million. Hmm. And everybody was trying to get in and I'm fighting to get in. And, and my young guy said, Mark, 
are you kidding? Yeah. $700 million for nothing? Like, oh my God. Oh my God. Thank you. I mean, yes. I, I, and, <laughs> and, and so we, we didn't do it. And, and of course it went to zero, but <laughs> FOMO is, is real. Right. And, and so I think, I think FTX has a FOMO element. It has a, um, it has a prestige element because Sequoia and, and a bunch of other really smart investors were involved. It's got this, you know, cloak and dagger thing where, you know, it's us against them with, with the China thing now and CZ. And, you know, I, I, I marveled, right. When, when Kevin back to Kevin testifying to Congress tried to say, this is all CZ's fault. Like, stop, stop, stop. No, CZ called it out for what it was. This is not. And maybe he didn't, maybe CZ didn't know what he was actually calling out and exactly. what he was in for. I, I think that's, uh, no. see, I, I think CZ knew exactly what he was doing. I think he was trying to out the money laundering piece. But he might have not known how bad it was and how bad it might affect him. I, I, don't, know. I, I don't think he knew how bad yeah. it could be for the ecosystem. And, and, and then, and I also don't think he knew it's like, don't poke the bear because the bear will come for you. Yeah. I think the bear's coming for him now. Yep. And you know, this whole bits lotso thing or whatever it was is, is it's not about some single Russian guy. That's a backdoor into like, remember. And, and I didn't believe this at the time, but now I, now I kind of do. Um, remember that thing when Giuliani, uh, was given a presentation for Trump out in front of the Four Seasons lot landscaping. And there was this big brouhaha that it was supposed to be the Four Seasons Hotel, but the team messed it up. Was this uh, trying to prove fraud in the election? Remind me on the... Uh... Yes, yes, because what, what they said was that is a front for Democratic money laundering. And I'm like, huh, <laughs> oh, okay. Because you think about it, cash business right? Big contracts. It's, it's like, look, and again, I don't want to go too far, but I'm sorry. I don't pay my dad $50,000 a month rent. Yeah. Okay. There's no house anywhere, no apartment, no, no nothing that that makes sense. Yeah. And so that can't be anything other than money laundering. And, and again, I'm, maybe I shouldn't make accusations about our president, but because I may end up someplace in a bad place, but um, I'm just saying that that can't be what it claims to be, right? You don't pay your dad fifty thousand dollars a month rent. I don't pay my dad fifty. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. And so that's something else. I don't know what it is. The same way that you know what was going on inside FTX, you know, with the WEF sponsorship, and then they get taken off the website. Yeah. Okay, that's weird, right? The agendas, I mean, they're so real. That 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 clears up a lot, actually, for what, what you've been saying here, both about the investing, uh, the FOMO, and just just the agenda really is, uh, they really come out in moments like this. You can, you can really see it. At the end of the day, every incumbent will do whatever they can not to get disrupted. Yeah. I get it, right? I mean, I... I run an asset management firm and I know sometime 
in my lifetime, you know, touch wood, I'm going to be replaced, not just me, but all of us are going to be replaced by DeFi, right? I mean, there's no way, no way that a DeFi portfolio that's on 24-7, 365, that's constantly rebalancing and constantly buying a piece of all the great assets all over the world, including collectible cars, right? Collectible portions, number one performing asset in the last 10 years, by far, mm. like nothing even close. But the average person can't do that because Jerry Seinfeld and John Shirley get all the collectible portions. But, <laughs> you know, if, if you could own a little piece of that, that'd be good or, or fine wine or art, yeah. right? I mean, there are a lot of assets that you just can't get as an average investor um, because you don't have time, you don't have knowledge, but, but a DeFi solution, an algorithmic solution that, as I said, is, is robustly seeking out, right? Using AI to say, wow, what's the biggest area of innovation in the world today? Hmm, I'm going to make some investments in that. And maybe you've got a good financial advisor and, 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 and I, I, I can bring everything back to Top Gun because it's, you know, as you should, it's the greatest movie. Well, I, I thought Top Gun was the greatest movie of all time until Maverick came out and Top Gun Maverick. I, I will continue. I've seen it nine times already. I watched it twice <laughs> on a flight from California to Raleigh the other day. Um, I mean, it's that good. <laughs> and, you know, you, you think about it. It's like what the drone ranger said, you know, Admiral Kane, they look, your days are numbered, Maverick, right? We're going to have pilots that don't need to eat, mm. don't need to sleep, don't need to take a piss. And that sucks, right? Displacing humans sucks. But here's the thing. If it gets all bent out of shape and the, you know, the AI is coming for our jobs, here's the thing. I guarantee that AI isn't going to do what you and I just did for the last 45 minutes. And what I mean by that is an AI is logical. It doesn't have the craziness of my brain that goes like down crazy rabbit holes. And just fantastic. You can have an interesting conversation. It just because it doesn't have intuition. You know, what, what is it? We get 11 million pieces of information every day and we process like 19. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's some crazy thing like that. So you think the top of the funnel, to the bottom of the funnel, the human mind is unbelievable and it, it's not going to be replaced. Now, is an AI going to, you know, write this email better than me? Yeah. Of course, better, fine. And, but I'll still have to edit it and I'll still have to sign it and send it. But ultimately, um, I don't worry about all that because there are more jobs today than at any time in human history, right? Despite all the jobs that have been taken away, my, my favorite was when, uh, when Donald came down to North Carolina, he's talking to all the displaced workers at the, the mills, he's like, I'm going to get your job back. And everybody's cheering. I'm like, no, no, you're not. Yeah. Her job's gone. It's never coming back from China. Cause if it comes, go, if it leaves China, it's going to Vietnam or Cambodia. It's never coming back to North Carolina, but that's okay. Because she can be retrained to do something in the knowledge economy. And that's the beauty of, of human, human nature is, is we can be retrained yeah. we can learn new skills. Indeed. But you know, Amazon, didn't exist 27 years ago. Today, they employ almost 5 million people. Yeah, that's, a, that's an incredible thought. I remember before they exploded after the uh, the Kindle as well, that was only like 15, less than 15 years ago. Yeah, 
And and again, what does the Kindle do? It makes people consume more literature, mm-hmm. and maybe not all literature. Maybe some some some. You know, my my son reads manga on it. So, which he and actually manga's got some good lessons in it. But he's not. He reads literature too, um, and he's he's amazing reader rabbit like my wife. Um, but but he does read some other stuff. But but he couldn't do that. In the old days, you'd have to go to the comic book store and get it. Now he punched the button and and he's got it, and he's just tearing through these things. And so he's consuming more content, which means there's more opportunity for people to write and be creative, and that creates more jobs. So did that piece of technology, you know, destroy jobs? Uh, uh-uh. uh, created new jobs. And crypto, same thing. You know, crypto. The reason I'm here, right? It says Morgan Creek Digital instead of Morgan Creek Capital is I had that epiphany, right? I had that epiphany and said, this is real. This is pervasive. This is a technological innovation that I do, I believe is, is the next innovation cycle, right? From the mainframe to the microcomputer, to the personal computer, to the internet, to the mobile net, to the truth net or the internet of value. 14 year cycle. On our last show, actually. You said yeah. That. And, and, and I think it's, it's very compelling, but look, in that, the incumbent sees the tech coming for him and says, nope, I'm going to fight. And so, yeah, we're in the then they fight you phase. 09 to 15, first they ignore you. Bunch of nerds and geeks playing with their magic internet money, I don't care. Then they laugh at you. 16 to 21, ah, look at those nerds and geeks playing with that magic internet money. Ha, ha, ha. Then they fight you. 22 to 27, and unfortunately, that's a long time from now. They're going to fight. And the good news is we've already won, right? If you're here, if you're focused on this space, you've won because this technology is as inevitable as the fact that you and I can speak in real time, in high def, across the ocean. I can't even comprehend how that works. Right? The fact that I'm talking to a metal and glass box that goes into the airwaves, into a tower, down across the ocean, into another tower, out into the airwaves, into your metal and glass box, and you hear me in real time? Are you kidding me? That's a Jetsons world. I don't need to know how it works. I don't. It works. And the phone companies hated it, and they tried to fight it, and they lost. And the banks hate crypto because I can send you value instantaneously across the ocean. Um, anytime I want, I don't have to wait for the banks to open. I don't have to wait for the markets to be open. And look, I don't want to trade 24 seven. It's tiring. I don't want to do that. Um, so I kind of like actually having the markets close some of the time, <laughs> but in fact, if I, if the reality is the U S time is not the only time, you know, global time, it's daytime someplace in the world all the time and it's nighttime someplace. And so that's the way a global borderless world should work. And that's what crypto is all about is, you know, erasing those borders, erasing, erasing the, the monopoly power of nation states. And I don't know, it's, it's all pretty cool. So Mark, how much time do you have left? I want to be sensitive. You know, I should probably, I should probably bolt. I have to do a, I, I do my, my 10 surprises presentation every year. I, I copy stole the idea from Byron Ween. He did these 10 surprises every year, so I do it too. 
and uh, I'm doing that at three o'clock and I haven't kind of finished my homework. So I should probably go finish my homework. Very good. Can I ask you just one quick question? Yeah. Because you're so well connected with so many people in the space. It's so interesting to hear your thoughts. Uh, one more thing, back to the FTX. We don't usually talk about the personal stuff on the show too much, but I think this is interesting. I heard on a show not too long ago, you talked about how you were involved in the BlockFi workout and Peter Thiel didn't show up. Yep. Yep. Peter Thiel generally strikes me as someone who, at least his agenda is something I tend to agree with and he's a Bitcoin fan and stuff. I do too. And I look, he's, he's, he's a mad genius and, and I'm a huge fan and admirer. I will never understand I just won't ever understand. I mean, he had over $300 million invested in this company. And all he had to do is show up with, you know, 30 or 40 million. And we would have had enough to kind of avert having to sell at a bargain, you know, at a basement, uh, bargain basement price to FTX. And, and, you know, his venture fund just walked away and I don't understand that. And I haven't gotten to talk to him about it. And uh, if he's out there listening, which he probably isn't, uh, I'd love to ask him the question like, like, you know, Peter, what, what are you thinking? Um, you know, him throwing in 50 million bucks, like me putting in five. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't like they didn't have the money and obviously it was something else. And, and maybe he came to the conclusion again, I'm speculating. I have no idea. Maybe he came to the conclusion that, all right, the demise of CFI is going to be faster than, than I originally thought. Because ultimately, we can go from TradFi to DeFi. Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody, right? My 85, 84-year-old dad, about to be 85-year-old dad, is never going to hold his own keys. Just not. And uh, I'm not doing it for him because if I mess it up, then I'm in trouble. So <laughs> yeah. he needs Coinbase or he needs BlockFi or he needs Kraken. Yeah. So I do think there's a role for CFI in the world. And, and the FTX thing was not a failure of crypto, wasn't a failure of the technology. It was a failure of a banking system, right? A banking system that doesn't have a centralized authority like you know FDIC to bail them out. And, and we could solve that, right? We could create a pool uh, for the lenders to create an insurance program and they could take a portion of their assets and put it in a pool. And then if something bad happens, they could they could fund it. And we should do that. Um, and there's a big opportunity there. But in the short run, um, that single decision caused some shock waves. Now, I guess you could argue the positive is it exposed FTX for what it was when they couldn't fulfill their obligations. Um, and maybe that that's good because now you know it's going to be in our rearview mirror. And, and look, King Solomon's advisors were right. You know, King Solomon said, uh, "Find me a phrase that will forever and always be true." And they came back with, "This too shall pass away." Mm. And and that is true, right? Every tough thing in your life, every good thing in your life, every everything in your life will eventually pass away, and. Uh, and that's okay. Um, it just means you got to keep, you know, moving forward and coming up with new ideas and, and new relationships. And, but, uh, the bad stuff of FTX will pass away and it will make us stronger in some areas. You know, the thing we haven't really talked about is, you know, a place where you are very different, like you said, than, than 
you know, libertarians in Texas yeah. and how we think about Bitcoin or being Venezuela, yeah. very different, or Turkey. There's never been a bear market in Bitcoin in Turkey. Not ever, not once, because the lira has just been absolutely massacred. Mm. Same thing with the Bolivar in Venezuela. So if you were lucky enough to move your money into Bitcoin or Dinero, or um, uh, Monero or Dash or anything, and be like, Dash, that's, that's terrible. Like, it's better than the Bolivar. So, um, you know, we will continue to make progress. We'll continue to have innovation. We'll continue to uh, create opportunities. And, and that's the fun part, right? And, and yes, there are setbacks. I hate the fact that, you know, investors and, and us lost money in, in BlockFi. Because, and again, BlockFi didn't do anything wrong. It was, oh, they, they were bad risk managers. Yeah, maybe. At the time they made the loan, it was 5% of assets. Yeah. It's not really that crazy. Yeah. Then there was the big run on the bank and it became a larger percentage of assets. And then it turns out FTX lied and they stole the money. BlockFi is the victim, not the perpetrator. Yeah. Gemini is the victim, not the perpetrator. Genesis even is the victim, not the perpetrator. Sam, Caroline, and probably a few others are the bad guys. And that's sad, but the bright side, and not the 10 billion isn't a lot of money, it is, but in a trillion dollar industry, it's actually not that much. And the thing that no one is talking about right now that I find interesting, since the global financial crisis, 538 banks have gone bust. Since the global financial crisis, forget before and, you know, savings and loan crisis and, yeah. you know, the 91 recession and, and you know, 2003 recession. There were plenty of banks that went under. But 538 banks have gone under since 2009. Do you hear anybody talking about, you know, we should all take our money out of banks. We should never leave our money in the bank. We should never use banks. No, because that would be stupid. Yeah. So let's get some perspective. And let's realize that, you know, when Mt. Gox went down, that was bad. Yeah. That was bad, right? They were 85% of trading volume globally. Okay. FTX, one of 500 exchanges. Okay. Bad people did some bad things. They're gone. But the system's resilient. The people are resilient. Builders are going to build. Great stuff's going to come from this. And, you know, we all just need to, to look forward. And I'll leave you with the last thought. Since it's basketball season, and you know, I probably shouldn't talk about the school down the road since I'm in Chapel Hill and it's all about the, the Tar Heels, but <laughs> I got to spend a little time with with Kay once, and and two things. It was funny. He says, you know, you know, you and I have the same job. I'm like, okay, coach, humor me. What what do I have in common with one of the greatest coaches of all time? I I don't see it. He said, well, think about it. You know, and this is back in my allocator days. He says, you know, we both scout talent, we both identify talent, we recruit that talent, we build a team. We put the team on the floor and we sit down. I never take a shot. You actually never make a, a stock purchase. Damn, I have the same job as Coach K. That's pretty damn cool. Um, it is. But then he said what, what I, I think I want to leave you with, which is what separates the great player from the average player? The average player always thinks about the last play. How many times have you seen someone miss a shot, go down and commit a stupid foul? Over and over because they're thinking about the last shot, last play. The great player, MJ, throws up a shot, misses. He doesn't even remember taking the shot. He goes down, hustles back, plays good defense, steals the ball, makes a layup. 
because he's focusing on the next play. Investing, life, everything, it's about the next play. And if you have a setback, you got to move on. You make a mistake, you got to Ralph. So now I'll leave it on, on Carolina. So Dean Smith, famous coach, Carolina, said, look, we're all going to make mistakes. You got to learn to Ralph. Recognize it, admit it, hard, learn from it, and forget it. So focus on the next play and don't worry about making mistakes. That, that's what happens. And look, I appreciate the conversation as always. Let's not make it four years before the, uh, the next one. And uh, we'll talk again soon. I was just going to say, Mark, I hope it's not uh, four years. We have to wait. And uh, very, very fascinating stuff today. Thanks a lot for joining. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks.